0: Hello, everybody. This is Ben Kitchings of the History Voyager, and I'm here with Abby. And Abby has a YouTube channel. Why don't you tell us what your YouTube channel is?
1: Uh, So, hi. Thanks for having me. Uh, My YouTube channel is called Political Psych with Abby, And as you can probably guess, it's about political psychology. Political psychology is the psychology of various political phenomena.
0: And you were telling me off air just now, your thing is not to tell people how to vote, but why people vote the way they do. Um, Yeah,
1: kind of. (laughs) Although a big part of my channel is about... um, you know, you, you, providing political psychology as a tool to activists, right? And okay. uh, I, I make no secret of the fact that I'm, uh, aiming it, you know, at activists for certain causes, but not others, right? I, I do. Mm. Uh,
2: I'm,
1: I'm not, I'm not apolitical, if that makes sense.
0: <laughs> well, right, and really nobody is, honestly. Exactly. Well, no, I, actually. I take that back you said because I saw your video that a certain percentage of people aren't political at all and that's because maybe because genetics um which is fascinating
1: well a certain number of people don't care about politics really that's that's kind of different I mean it's it's pretty rare for someone to be interested in politics in an academic sense like I am and then also not care uh and be you know a political uh that that's uncommon but there are people who are you know very low interest low information uh when it comes to politics um and investment in politics is to some extent genetic uh, but there definitely is no gene for not caring about politics at least not what we know about
2: um and why don't why? yeah
0: I know what a low information person is and a high information person, but why don't you tell people what that is?
1: Oh, well, I mean, when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, politics, it sort of means someone who doesn't know a lot about the political issues or the political figures involved in something is, is more low information. Um, and there's a real issue with a lot of political science research where it's sort of, tends to overestimate how much people know about certain issues. And a lot of what political psychology is about is about, you know, how people make political decisions, even if they don't have a ton of information about the issues. Um, And there's some really fascinating research about how people with less information can use sort of different strategies to, End up voting pretty similarly to people with more information.
0: Wow, talk about that. That is fascinating. Talk about that.
1: Uh, So, I'm sorry, I'm trying to remember a study I read months ago, but um, it's sort of, yeah, it's this idea that um, people can um, use a variety of sort of little shortcuts to, uh, you know, if they don't know something about a particular issue. To still, you know, act as if they do So they'll they'll make a decision for, you know, what side of an issue to be on Or who to vote for based off of who else is supporting it um, Or um, based off of, you know, what people are for and against it Or, um, yeah, so that's the main one well,
0: Okay, that
2: people use. so there was,
0: unfortunately there was a cutout there Right when you were getting to the punchline. So let's, let's go over that again.
1: Yeah, I think that there might be some more uh, details and examples here, but I don't remember this article perfectly. Uh, but uh, basically, uh, one of the findings was that people are able to decide sort of their political position on things when they don't have a lot of information based off of things such as um, what other people, interest groups, political parties support or are against a particular position. Um, And I think that uh, the study that it was based off of was a pretty old one about some, uh, I want to say California, a California law about... uh, something to do with the like, car insurance and lawsuits and people were able to make their minds up partially based off of where like, um, the, uh, I think where the like state bar association was on the issue or that kind of thing. Uh, this is, this is why I, uh, I write scripts for my videos because I don't have a very good memory. Uh, mm-hmm. sorry.
0: <laughs> no, no, it's fine. It's fine. Um, okay. Let me ask you this. Um, how, let's pull back and talk about your channel for a second Um, your YouTube channel Uh, take me back to the moment where you realized you wanted to make a YouTube channel, first of all
1: Yeah, um, so I had sort of been thinking about it for, like, Think I, uh, I watch a lot of stuff on YouTube And so I was like, oh, this seems like a vaguely interesting thing to do And, I had kind of already decided that um, when I was studying political psychology, I wanted to have a YouTube channel about that because I already had a fair amount of experience with social psychology and other sort of psychology stuff from my undergrad. And I realized that it was really interesting and that it might be very helpful to a lot of people, but that information about it was just not super available and super accessible. Um, I decided to actually create my channel a little bit early because in the last few weeks of my undergrad, the pandemic hit, right? Um, and so there was not a lot to do, right? Uh, and mm. I created all the stuff for the channel. You know, I made a, I made a header image. I registered it with YouTube, all that kind of stuff. But it took me forever to get my first video out. Because I think like a lot of people, I was not, you know, super productive during that, you know, first summer uh, during the pandemic. So I got my first video out September of 2020. Yeah. September of 2020 is when I got my first video out. Um, and then it's just been, you know, making videos from there. Um, I'm in a pretty decent rhythm now where I get one out about once every one or two months. But starting out, it was harder to get them out on a regular basis. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh mm-hmm. Yeah, but it was basically a desire to um, share something that I thought was really important and I thought was really interesting with the general public and also um, have, like, a creative outlet in a way. Um, I've always been someone who really enjoys, like, graphics and that kind of thing, so that's a big part of my channel. I also try and keep it, you know, a bit funny. Uh, Plus, what's nice is that, you know, uh, I get to use my degree for it, you know, even though, so I'm not, you know, someone who's in academia, right? Uh, and mm-hmm. I use what I've learned in my degree a bit in my actual job, uh, but not like all the time, right? Uh, yeah. But I still get to pass on that knowledge and make it accessible to the general public via the YouTube channel, right? So no matter what I do professionally, the degree was not a waste, so that that's a plus.
0: Yeah. <laughs> It's it's funny it's, – uh, well, funny is the wrong English word, but it's interesting. I've talked to so many people who who have sort of the same experience. Like they have this amazing degree or this whatever kind of degree, but their job is not doing that, and they still want to use their knowledge to teach people. And so that's what they're doing. And then somebody emailed me an article today about how this could actually be the future of education, in a in a very real way. This could be the future of education that and people independently go to stuff like yours and stuff like mine. Eventually, I'll pivot back to a historical deep dive. If people quit being interesting, I don't (laughs) like,
2: you know. Darn it, (laughs) you know. You know? Yeah, I don't know. I
1: mean, I think that a um a, a structured educational system is actually still really important, um, especially as like a socialization tool and to help people like form bonds in their lives, right? Um
2: mm-hmm. you
1: know, I mean my master's degree was entirely online because of the pandemic and it sucked. Uh you know, mm-hmm. and having that in-person and structured, you know, undergrad experience and, you know, education before that was super, super duper important. Um, And, you know, Mm -hmm. online education is often very inaccessible to people who have lower incomes or people with disabilities. So, I am very much not someone who believes that all online education is the future. I think that people, you know, supplementing their education with something that they learn online is is beautiful and amazing, and I think that that is the future. It's also the present. Uh, <laughs> but the idea that you can substitute this in person and social, very importantly, social learning with online, I think, is is nonsense. Um. <laughs> well,
0: I mean. I think what the article was getting at was, you know, universities were looking at cost-cutting measures and also, frankly, I mean, there's a lot of people out there that do things like this. Like, there's a guy actually on that I've found. He's actually one of my podcast guests. And he runs a fascinating uh, history podcast, deeply fascinating, real highlight of of the of the uh thing i've done you know for me is to be exposed to this podcast and i agree with you i agree that you know we need to have socialization but i also think that administratively this is where the universities want to go um and maybe not even they want to go maybe they're being dragged that way
1: Well, yeah, I mean they're being dragged that way because they're being forced to be run like businesses, and I think that that's actually like deeply wrong and kind of toxic and really destructive to what universities can and should be. Uh, I mean that's uh, off topic for my channel, but uh, I uh,
0: actually that's. And again, we agree. I mean, I'm I'm totally (laughs) in agreement with that. You know, but um, I'm on academic Twitter, and good lord, (laughs) you know some some of the stories. Wow. Um but okay tell me okay what would motivate somebody to be more uh to be more conservative say from a su- um from a psychological from a political psychological standpoint
1: Yeah so there's a number of things uh that do that Uh mm-hmm. so one of them is right wing authoritarianism Um, So that's sort of a set of personality traits um, that cause someone to essentially um, uh, to want everything sort of very uh, tightly controlled and uh, orderly and conformist, if that makes sense, and also has big um, emphasis on sort of uh, purity and control and tradition and that sort of stuff. That That's where a lot of the sort of social conservative ad, uh, attitudes come from. And that tends to come with very strong, like, in-group biases. So that's often also the root of a lot of, um, you know, racism and other forms of bigotry, uh, homophobia, that kind of thing, um, slut-shaming, all that. A-, a lot of that stuff is very closely related to right-wing authoritarianism. Um, also, that can be very related to authoritarianism is the name so the desire for a very sort of strong leader um comes in there and real fear of disorder is very t- closely tied to right-wing authoritarianism uh you also get social dominance orientation so that's the belief that the world is and should be a hierarchy right so it's uh, mm-hmm. sort of the opposite of egalitarianism as a set of attitudes um And, you know, there are a lot of people out there who genuinely believe that the world should not be equal. Right. Um, And the idea of making things more equal is is genuinely frightening for them. So that uh, motivates a lot of conservative attitudes.
0: Why? Uh, Why? Okay. Why would that be frightening? I have two questions. And they might actually be the same question. So just bear with me. Yeah. Uh, Why would somebody be frightened By Egalitarian By equality number one And Uh number two Or one B Right How would that show up in non-political Ways
1: In um, somebody's
0: life
1: Yeah that's an interesting question Um, So One reason That people uh, Might be frightened by Equality is um, that they're someone who has a really strong desire to be on the top. So that's not necessarily so much fear as real dislike for equality. Uh, but it's not just the desire to be on the top. It's sometimes it's the belief that the people who are on the top should be there. It also comes back to this sort of fear of chaos and fear of change. Fear of change is a really big thing in conservatives. And that comes back to, um, Another thing I was going to talk about, which is uh, system justification, uh, which is uh, basically uh, a bunch of uh, uh, your brain forcing itself through a bunch of logical hoops to make the current world seem good. And being very high in system justification makes you sort of fearful of change in general. Um, In terms of why people dislike equality, it's actually like this is not something that it's super clear why why that's the case. Um, But I think Mm -hmm. a lot of it has to do with the idea of some people are very uh, against the idea of people getting things they don't deserve, right? Uh, You know, even if everyone's getting it. um, You know, some people are very oriented around, uh, you know, uh, they just want everyone to get what they need, right? Uh, But there are some people who are very sort of motivated by their own particular concepts of justice that have a real problem uh, with the idea of people getting things they don't deserve, right? Which is where you get the concept of like the welfare queen or something, which doesn't even really exist, but people are really afraid of that sort of thing. Um, yeah, so that's sort of the the fear of equality thing and how that comes back in people's lives. Uh, I mean, it definitely plays into the way people will behave in like a workplace, Um, you know, very much a lot of the time, people who are very high in, um, uh, social dominance orientation are people who are very oriented around, you know, climbing the corporate ladder or, you know, giving more respect to people who are higher up in it. Um, also, I believe that social dominance orientation is slightly higher prevalence in men. Um, and I would be. Not remotely surprised if it also ref- uh, reflected itself in interpersonal relationships and romantic relationships, but that's not something that I'm really an expert in, so I don't want to talk out of my ass here. I don't have a study for that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, no, it, it just the card. It just you know strikes me that um, how. It strikes me how I've lived through so much change Um, Not just political change But technological change Mm -hmm. And I think now we're seeing that that can be Disruptive to various orders Be it economic, be it social Be it hierarchical, whatever Mm
2: -hmm. right?
0: And that can be really Disconcerting on Just even basic levels Just basic You know how Somebody can There's actually a um, There's actually a thing on Hulu For, For example Let me give you an example There's a documentary on Hulu Or a docu-series on Hulu About this kid That's an Instagram star And the parents have to deal with that
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And in my You know talking to people All over the place The thing that we talk about The thing that gets talked about a lot Is how they have a They have a channel or they have a YouTube or, or whatever And they get recognized Or they get talked to Just Out in the world mm-hmm. And I, You know They're One guy said, you know, it's strange how you end up identifying with somebody like um, Kevin Hart in weird ways because, you know, here I am trying to do something and this just normal person, this other person just comes up to me and they want to have a conversation with me and I'm trying to do whatever they were trying to do. And that's just really disruptive. But also you think about last year with the, With the the various demonstrations Or riots or whatever you want to call that And you think about how A lot of that went viral And You think about how I don't know if you have Twitter
1: I don't have Twitter, I can't stand it Twitter is
0: Instagram
1: and Reddit But I don't do Twitter
0: Twitter's (laughs) amazing Um, No, I don't work for Twitter But uh, Twitter's amazing But there's all these videos On Twitter about how You're really seeing how people are in the grocery store, or how people are in in society, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes that can have disastrous impacts on that person's job. Mm -hmm. And the more you think, the more I think about that, the more I'm like, okay, this person was just trying to get grapefruits. (laughs) They were just trying to get vegetables, Mm -hmm. and we don't know if they had a terrible day, and now they don't have a job. So it's like we live in this world now where you've always got to be on your best behavior. And that's just not
1: Well, I mean, I think that, you know, you know etiquette is something that's constantly being renegotiated in a society, right? And
2: mm, mm, that,
1: you know, the etiquette gets renegotiated differently around new technologies and that that's something that we're seeing, but we're seeing it at a, you know, a very fast pace and so a lot of people, you know, find that um Alarming You know mm, mm. Uh, You know uh, and, It's not something I'm personally paranoid about I mean for one thing I don't show my face on my channel And I don't have that many subscribers So uh, other than the people I know in my real life Who know I have a channel right No one's gonna know anything right um, that's
2: probably a good thought Yeah But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: but I don't know It's uh, I mean people have uh, I don't know. I I just sort of think that uh, yeah. I mean, the the technology stuff is complicated. And by what you said about people finding uh, you know change alarming is absolutely a very natural human instinct to find change alarming. The issue with that is that it does tend to uh, have sort of a more uh, negative emotional reaction to change in people who are more conservative. Um, and often that can get, you know, capitalized on by very bigoted people or movements, um, that, Mm. that change. Um, (laughs) and so that, that can be a really big problem.
0: Yeah. What about, um, so, okay. Do you feel comfortable telling people, maybe not where you went to school, but like where that place was like in the world?
1: Oh, yeah, sure. I, I, I can give out countries. I just don't give out, like, the name of the school.
0: Okay, yeah. So, and obviously, you're an American. Yeah. So, but you went to, where did you go to school? Like, what, what country? So,
1: I did, did my go? undergraduate in Scotland, and then I did a master's degree in England.
0: Okay, now, when you were in England, that doesn't really count, right? Because you were just online.
1: Uh, although I was living there um
0: okay, okay. okay.
1: yeah I, um i actually i, I lived in the u k from when I was eighteen until a few months ago
0: all right so let me ask you that so that gets around to this question is there a difference in the political psychology between Scotland and England and in the United States
1: I would say that there's more a difference in the politics than there is in the psychology right okay I mean, People are are shaped by their cultures and their environments. Absolutely. Um, You know, uh, Mm. and there's a huge problem in political psychology, which is that most of the research is done in America and in some instances like Western Europe and like Australia. And uh, there's going to be a lot of cultural differences outside of that sphere and even between those countries. um, So that, you know, it's hard to get wide applicability. Um, but I personally find that it's more that the, the the psychology is pretty similar in the UK and the US. People are pretty similar. I basically think of British people as if you if you p- slammed a bunch of Americans into a smaller, older place. Um, and then. Um, but um, because the idea that they're like more civil and more classy is nonsense. Um, but. Uh, the politics are different, very different, right? Um, So, I mean, Scottish politics are quite different because um, politics there don't necessarily operate on the same left-right divide because you have a lot of stuff that's oriented around like Scottish independence issues. Uh, And also, of course, in a parliamentary system, you have, you know, in your, um, for your parliamentary seat, which parties have an actual chance, it's not always going to be the same two parties. Right. Um, so that Mm -hmm. can alter politics because, you know, uh, where I used to live in Scotland was the main contest was between, uh, the Lib Dems, the liberal Democrats and, um, the SNP. And now that's the Scottish national party. Now people Mm -hmm. who actually, know a bunch about Scottish politics, which doesn't include me, will be able to tell you that those parties differ a great deal on issues other than Scottish independence. But coming at it from an outside perspective, the main difference is Scottish independence. And there's not like an analogous issue to that in the U.S., right? Um, uh, so the politics are very different. Also, I found that um, – do you know what an Overton window is?
0: I, I do, but why don't you tell my uh, my list.
2: There's okay.
1: I, cool. Yeah. So is. uh Overton window is basically like the range usually from left to right but it could be I guess on some other spectrum of sort of acceptable reasonable seeming political discourse, right? Um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and I find
0: So okay, so the Overton window means that like for example, um maybe not what would be okay, gay marriage the classic example. Gay marriage moved in the Overton window, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, at some point, you know, uh, I don't know exactly when it would have been unreasonable to be in favor of it. I think the point at which you would be considered insane for being in favor of it was probably before I was politically active, right? Because I'm 23.
2: (laughs) It was.
0: I mean (laughs) –
2: But there's obviously – (laughs)
0: <laughs> spoiler, spoiler alert i'm older than you i remember when to be for gay marriage was political suicide be yeah. it on the be it on the left or the right It just yeah. a state of exactly. fact yeah and now yeah. we've moved in the overton window
1: yeah and now it is something that yeah is considered is considered reasonable but what i was gonna say is in the uk i feel like the overton window is on a lot of things especially uh more economic things is, is farther to the left than it is in the U S and especially than it was in the U S you know, when I was last living here, when I was in like high school, you know what I mean? I feel Mm -hmm. like the Overton window in the U S has weirdly sort of widened in both directions. Um, (laughs) uh, yeah, yeah. I would Um, agree with that. Yeah. But I feel like, especially, you know, in like 2016, when I moved there, in the UK, there were especially certain issues where the Overton window was much, you know, farther to the left, right? Like they've had universal health care for many, many years, right? Um, like a very, very long time.
0: Since the yeah. 50s, right?
1: Yeah, I think so. Thinking, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah,
1: a very, very long time. Uh, and I think, you know, and, and they're saying that you shouldn't have universal health care, even if you're on the right, is basically a form of political suicide, right? Like there are people on the right who will think that you should fund it less or like maybe have people pay a little bit more of their own healthcare costs, but no one's talking about getting rid of it. Um, But Mm. in the U S suggesting a system like the NHS, even the NHS is interpreted through like the Tory party would be considered a pretty left-wing position. Right. Mm. Um, So, you know, the Overton window, you know, what seems reasonable or unreasonable varies a fair amount by country. But I find that the people are mostly, you know, where the brains are the same, right? Uh so mm-hmm. it's just environment, right? And I think outside of the politics, there aren't maybe that much of cultural differences between the UK and the US uh that it shapes the politics that that much. Although keep in mind that I'm, uh, you know, I'm I'm from the Northeast, which is probably the part of the U.S. that's most similar to the U.K. I feel like if I was from California, I'd probably be experiencing, you know, more cultural differences. And there are definitely cultural differences. I just don't necessarily feel like that uh, not asking people about their day in shops is going to influence politics that much, uh,
2: you know. Well, I think
0: um... – I see a lot of differences. I was actually talking about this at, at Supper. Or I'm from the South, so the last meal of the day is called Supper. Oh.
2: Um,
0: I was actually talking about this, that I think this whole technological revolution has showed Americans that we are different. We have very different attitudes about
1: Oh, yeah. No, I wasn't saying stuff. Oh, yeah. No, Americans are very different. Um, I wasn't really trying to suggest that they were the same. Um, Just that the elements of the psychology that get applied to politics, even if it's different politics, are fairly similar. That's all.
2: Mm. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Mm.
1: No, but definitely there are cultural differences.
0: (laughs) Well, right. And but I was talking, you know, I mean, not just. You know, northeast to southeast, or east to west, or whatever. I was talking like urban versus rural. Mm. Just there's some real differences, um. You know that I I've begun to think are not cosmetic and are very genuine.
2: Definitely, just, yeah.
0: You know.
1: Oh yeah, no, that's that's definitely true. Um, and you do actually see. Uh, Both because those environments shape people and because people with different personalities want to live in different environments, you do see personality variations with geography, um, Mm. which is a fascinating thing. Uh, uh, That gets reflected in politics a bit.
0: Yeah. How much um, how much stock do you put in the whole like self-selecting like somebody might select themselves to. Or somebody might gravitate more towards Florida because they're this kind of conservative versus, say, Texas or like how much stock do you put in that? Like somebody saying, oh, I want to move. I want to be with people who vote like me. So I'm going to move to Te- I'm going to move from Maine to Texas or I'm going to move from, uh, you know, Connecticut to Oklahoma.
1: I don't know. I think it's more like wanting to be with people that think like you. Right. Um,
2: uh-huh.
1: and are going to respect you rather than specifically people who vote like you. I just feel like it then, but then, you know, people who think similarly and, you know, respect the s- similar points of view or identities are probably going to, you know, vote pretty similarly too, yeah. right? Like,
2: yeah, you know, like, uh,
1: mm. if you're, if you're gay or something, you're probably not going to live in a part of the country that's especially homophobic, but you're also probably not going to vote for a party that's especially homophobic, right? So there's sort of selection both coming from the same thing, but not necessarily that you want to live around, you know, people of the same political party,
2: right? At at
0: (laughs) what point did, uh, or, okay, did Think Like Me and Vote Like Me become, because I would think now they're pretty much linked but maybe they weren't linked in the past Um, or do you know what I'm saying? Like,
1: uh, no, I get what you're saying. Um, so, uh, political psychology is a relatively new field. mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of the stuff that got done very early on is sort of quackery. So it doesn't, it's not super useful. Um, and so as far back as I can think, a lot of it is, you know, So think like me, if we're talking, you know, personality variables or whatever, um, or or values tend to Mm -hmm. relate very heavily to politics. Um, There is a very famous study by Converse from, I want to say, the 60s, which indicated that a lot of people sort of couldn't tell the difference between Democrats and Republicans ideologically. But I think that was sort of a, a particular blip. In, in politics I believe this was the early 60s but I'd, I'd have to check um, and that result has not really been replicated so it might have been true at the very particular time where he was doing it but it is not generally considered to be true for most of the time after so I mean I think that people with different politics thinking differently is you know is is fairly common right um, and I mean I'm you, I'm we, 23 So I don't remember the time Where we allegedly all got along You know what I'm saying? I'm willing to believe that it might have existed I just don't remember it
0: I, I actually remember it <laughs> Like I actually remember it In my actual life Yeah. And what I was going to say was I actually remember When that stopped Like I actually remember The, the point where that stopped and i think the difference i think the difference became well let me ask you this abby
2: mhm
0: is there any literature about or have you seen any cuz i'm sure there is when they quit doing earmarks in the senate okay
1: yeah that's going to be like that's that's a bit more public policy or yeah. Than is my area of expertise So
0: so it doesn't really link So your expertise doesn't link up um, The thinking with The results
1: It does to some extent But a lot more of it is oriented around voters Than politicians themselves
2: Mm.
1: Or the stuff about politicians themselves is It it tends to be a bit uh, Broader a lot of the time Um, Mm, mm. Yeah than, Than specifically
0: Things like about, <laughs> like high, like high trust voters and and low trust voters that kind of thing
1: yeah that's that's something that gets talked about yeah uh,
0: yeah yeah so you were telling me like oh, off air you were telling me like high trust voters um there's a lot tend to vote to the left and or what was it exactly you said
1: I honesty I was talking about honesty not trust yeah,
2: yeah okay uh, so, people
1: who uh, have a more honest personality type as measured by the hexaco scale tend to be more left wing voting
0: that's interesting mhm that that is so tell me about that
1: um, well, it's honestly a little unclear why, or at least I'm not an expert on on why um but uh. Generally speaking, people who are higher in the honesty dimension when it comes to personality, um, are tend to vote more, more left wing. I think part of it might be, um, that, um, the general idea that people are sort of guardedness and the idea that people are out to get you, uh, is very related to being more right wing. Uh, the idea that the world is dangerous is is relating to being being more right wing. Um, I mean, that's not the same thing though as honesty, right? But I think that I mean, if if you'll excuse the rudeness, a certain amount of selfishness comes with both dishonesty and that if I if I had to guess. Um, but it's it's not a topic mm. that I'm you know massively an expert on. Uh, and so I, you know, I don't want to be, uh, like I said, I don't want to be talking out of my ass, um, there.
0: No, I, I get that. Um, that is fascinating now because now how does that relate when we think about COVID? How does that relate?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, think
0: about COVID.
1: Well, um, I actually, um, yeah, um, so part of it is that people um uh actually uh so there's this idea that one of the more effective ways to deal with the pandemic is to view it as a a communal issue, right? Mm-hmm. Um because any individual's odds of getting sick and dying are pretty low, especially if you're young and healthy. Um but it's you know it's a devastating thing for a community, right? Mm-hmm. But um both propagating and responding to communal messaging is a really difficult thing for conservatives um and honestly mm. uh not not the easiest thing for liberals in this country right because why
0: is it so hard for conservatives
1: uh well, because because um, you're
0: right, but why is that hard
1: um well, because it, it tends to have a, you know, a worldview that's very oriented around, um, you know, uh, self-interest, right? If you have a political ideology that's very built around not building social safety nets and everybody looking out for themselves, then that's not super well-suited to a problem that has to be ta- t- tackled communally, right? Um mm. Yeah, so that that's a real issue. Um, and or
0: like, well, like if if I had a dollar, I'm sorry, but like if I had a dollar for every conservative that ever told me I don't want to live in a society, you know, like their fantasies to not live in a society. Yeah. People, yeah.
1: Uh, no, I mean that is a thing for some people, and I mean I find that baffling. I'm a I'm a very people, you know, I'm a very people should be inter- interdependent type person. I mean, that's one of the reasons I got into social psychology. Um,
0: I, I, I don't know that I'm a should there, but I, I am and is there. Like, I'm,
1: oh, I absolutely. might not
0: be a should, but I am like a, well, that is.
1: Yeah, that <laughs> is reality, you, you but know. it's a reality that a lot of people. Want to deny, if that makes sense? Uh, well,
0: right, because I've studied. um I mean, I've studied this country for a long, for a long time, and we're a rapidly urbanizing society. And well, let me ask you: Is there a? Let me ask you this: Have have you seen any research in the so in the political psychology of urban vote, voters versus rural voters?
1: Um, a little bit, but not a ton. Um, I mean it's basically what you think with um, you know, urban voters tend to be uh more left leaning.
0: Uh as far as more like the social con urban voters tend to be more social contracty. Um and, and I don't just mean like center city voters or whatever. I mean like people living in built up areas. Yeah. Tend to be I- more social contracty.
1: Yeah, I mean, that makes sense, you know, you you kind of have to be, otherwise things fall apart, right? Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm.
1: You know, you got to look out for each other to some extent. Um, Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: And I mean, that's, I I live in a city now, and that is actually something I really like about it. Um, You know, I I grew up in the the suburbs, and I just found it way too atomized, Um, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Let me ask. Living in uh, the UK, Mm -hmm. did you notice any difference in how the UK people look at things like traffic versus how Americans do, or or whatever?
2: Uh.
0: Well, there's a reason I'm there's a reason I'm asking.
1: Yeah, well, I mean they have a ton of roundabouts. Uh <laughs> like uh traffic circles. They they're crazy about traffic circles. Um yeah. Also, yeah. uh in my experience the public transit is better. Uh mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The uh, reason, which I'm, well, I'm a big fan of public transit, so that is that is something I
0: like. Well, the reason I'm asking is because of this. When I lived, when I first went to college in a small town, uh, in a, in a, what we call an exurban county, Mm -hmm. wasn't even suburban. You saw a lot of people intentionally flouting traffic laws.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Like a lot of that, like you know, they weren't stopping at the stop sign; they were gonna run Mm -hmm. the red light. They were going to drive on the wrong side of the road on purpose because the government was telling them to do that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, blah, blah. I
2: was
0: thinking that has to feed into their Mm -hmm. psychology of how they vote.
1: Yeah, I mean, there is a, um, you know, there is a certain... um, You know hatred of the government that is instilled especially in you know conservative and rural populations and the thing is that that does serve certain interests right that that's going to serve the interests of the Republican Party, you know, even though they're part Mm -hmm. of the government, you know, because disliking and distrusting the government is part of their platform, you know, uh, disliking and distrusting the government is going to serve them. It also serves the interests of people who don't want to pay a lot of taxes and therefore would like small government right. So even though you know having a government that does more might help the average you know working class person in a rural area, if they can be convinced that that's not in their interests, right, then that's going to help someone who's real rich. Um, and the same goes for businesses, right? Um, you know, mm-hmm. if they can convince, you know, if a if a you know if a business that might actually be directly you know polluting and essentially poisoning people in a rural area can convince the people in that rural area or other rural areas across the country that the EPA is, you know, tyrannical and coming to take their rights. um, Then that, that really works in their favor. Right. Um, Mm.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, distrust of certain authorities and trust of others, you know, it's, it's a power play. Right. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. No, it absolutely is. Um, yeah. And that's just so like, I had a, I've had several people on, and we would talk about. In fact, one guy was pretty famous, and he's been on much much bigger podcasts than me. And I didn't release his episode because. Um, I take COVID-19 seriously, and I take my COVID-19 episodes seriously, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: very seriously. Um, And he had, he saw COVID as, he was very on brand, let's say that, about how he saw COVID. Mm Mm-hmm. And I did not like how he was using my show to, you know, further a political brand Yeah. A- around, you know, I'm willing to let people die so I can busily not be elected to public office because I'm never going to win public office because of where I live.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But I can run for it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and I really didn't like that he who was using me for that. Yeah, um, I mean,
1: you don't have to platform people like that,
0: and that's
2: yeah. Well, I, I, so,
0: I <laughs> and I and I didn't. Um, yeah. The thing I wanted to say was I, I've talked to a lot of right-leaning people, mm-hmm. and the thing they always keep saying is, you know, mask mandates your tyranny or whatever. And it's interesting how many of these people It's fascinating to me How many of these people claim To not be vaccinated for anything And And somehow I know that's not true Like somehow because I'm as old as I am I know if you are varnished by education At all you had to be vaccinated for measles. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. No I know that.
1: Yeah, what I was going to say about the about the mask mandates and that sort of thing is I think that you know that that comes in again with the with the fear of change I think to some extent, you know. And it is unpleasant and inconvenient, you know. Um uh, I don't like wearing a mask. I don't think anyone really does. Um
0: Hey, I, I have the fifteenth most listened to podcast on COVID in the world, and I'm gonna say right now, I don't like wearing a mask at all.
1: Yeah, that's why everyone <laughs> should go get vaccinated, uh, so we don't have to do that anymore.
2: Uh, like any, you know, yeah, uh, any,
1: <laughs> yeah. What I was gonna say is, um, that you know, it's people who don't like law and order as it's applied to them, right? Because a lot of these people who are, you know, anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers and think that the government's being real tyrannical to them for making them wear a little piece of, you know, uh, you know, fabric on their face, a lot of them will, you know, be very, very opposed to, say, the Black Lives Matter movement and very, very pro-police, right? But they don't want to be policed. They want other people to be policed. And then I was also going to say that, like, it's weird what, you know, it's because of what people are used to, Right. There's Mm -hmm. a literature that shows that something is viewed as much more legitimate when it's already happened and when it's already been a thing for a long Mm -hmm. time. Right? Like, I seriously doubt that most of these anti-mask people would uh, would support my right as a woman to go topless, right? And and if I I went topless, right, that wouldn't directly hurt anyone, unlike people not wearing a mask.
0: (laughs) I read a fascinating article very recently about seatbelt laws Mm. and how recently, like how recently seatbelt laws became literally the law of the land everywhere. Yeah. Like I had no, I I remember being a child and you'd hear people of an age gripe about wearing a seatbelt. Right. Mm -hmm. But I had no idea that it was into the nineties. Yeah, that's, I had no idea.
1: That's not good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. Yeah.
2: I, yeah. Huh.
1: Yeah. Um. But it's, you know, people eventually accept things. Uh, but I don't think that we as a society have to accept wearing masks forever if people get vaccinated. Um,
0: well, you know. And I, one thing I will say, honestly, as somebody who keeps up with COVID, um, is it's disturbing to me how many punch through COVID cases there really are. Um, like it's really disturbing to me.
1: Yeah, but it's 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 a such 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 a lower rate than with unvaccinated people, and they tend to be much much milder cases. But it's really hard to communicate this to the public, right? People have a tremendous amount of difficulty processing large numbers and probability, but they have a really easy time processing notable stories, right?
0: Well, I also think a lot of it has to do with... I have this theory, (laughs) and my theory is that in the day and age of, of I can text you, like if I had your phone number,
2: mm-hmm. right?
0: I could text you a movie, literally.
2: Mm-hmm. Like
0: I could text you a movie and you could watch it on your phone.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I think in the day and age of that, if you if you had Ebola here, right? People would get on board with being treated for Ebola real quick really quick because you'd see it it'd be in public Mm. right you would see hey man let me text you this picture of this dude or this person who's having a who has ebola in the waiting room in target or whatever right and you'd be like oh my god let me go get vaccinated right the problem with covid is that you die in private
1: yeah, I think that you're you're very right about that, right? Because it's it's less visceral, especially you know for um you know for someone my age, where most of the people you know mm. who are dying aren't going to be people you know that directly, you know, like the people I know of who have you know died and who are in all really to me is like the grandparent of one of my friends and then one of my grandmother's friends, right? And obviously that's awful, but neither of these people are people who I know very well, right?
0: Maybe Um, I'm just weird. I was. Go ahead.
1: But what I was going to say is I absolutely agree because I I think, you know, I think that the fact that people don't see it, right, is is a huge part of things. And I think that, you know, a lot of the denialism or the the anti-mask stuff comes from. The fact that people see the limitations that the response to the pandemic has put on their lives every day, but they don't see the pandemic every day.
0: You know what and I mean? And they're also connecting. They're also connecting up the fact that like the grocery store ran out of carrots, like my grocery store ran out oh. of carrots. Or uh, what's another one? Um, they connect up the fact that I've seen photos on Twitter of like entire egg cases empty. Like there's no eggs or like they connect that up with the pandemic when that's really a supply chain issue or what's the other one? Um, What's the other one? There's one that I read. There's, Oh yeah. The, the, the number of cars, the number of new cars that are on sale are just like, you know, not what they need to be, but, you know, um, and uh,
1: then that sort of attitude is going to, you know, feed back into being helpful for corporate interests that want people to go back to work in crowded factories and that kind of thing and farms. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I I think I I see a phenomenon in my city that I'm just like, this is really strange, like. I see a phenomenon practically every day that I'm like, okay, I'm a smart guy and I can't get down to the bottom of this. I'll see more traffic than I ever used to see, right? But when you look out, when you look on the road, you know, either side of the road, what you don't see is you don't see the corresponding people in the parking lot, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, where are these people going? That's what I don't get. Mhm, you know, like is it that we're meeting in people's houses to do work? Is that the deal, or uh, i don't know the answer to that
2: mhm you know what I'm saying but, uh-huh uh, yeah mm-hmm. well Abby um
0: what do you think the from a political uh psychological standpoint, where do you think the American electorate's going?
1: Well, uh well, you know, I, I you know, I, I can't I can't make a prophecy here, but I think that um, the, the Republican Party at this point uh, is sustaining itself on a combination of, honestly, business interests that don't know what's good for them, because at this point, it's not even good for business or Rep- the Republican ideology, but certain business interests and in rich people and bigotry. And I don't see a rise of some sort of reasonable conservatism in the future. So I, you know, I, I see I see this from a lot of liberals who are like, oh, if we only we could have, you know, reasonable Republicans to be up against again. Nah, let the Republican die, Party die and try and kill it.
2: Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. But,
1: uh, And then I see the Democratic Party. um my hope is that drifts further left or that you know, 40, 50 years from now, the Republican party dies completely. And the democratic party splits in half, um, with a more left wing party and a, a more party where it is sort of right now. Um, and I think, um, that the, the thing is with, with the way things are now is people aren't happy with politics being the way they are now and with the world being the way it is now. And, you know, if nothing is done, things are only gonna get worse because of things like climate change, right? So you can have real solutions to this sort of stuff, and I don't see any of those coming from the right anytime soon.
2: Well,
0: and let me, or, let me ask you this. Oh well, sorry. go ahead. Go ahead, but there's another there was something that literally hit me like a two by four, uh a couple of months ago, maybe three months ago. I was looking at um You know, there's all these people now, even now, who deny COVID is real,
2: Mm
0: -hmm. right? And I'm out here going, I could see it. I could literally see like something bad happening, like something uh, climate changey bad happening to some low-lying place in America.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And I could literally see a certain given number of folks denying that that it happened.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Or you would see people Like I don't care I I don't want to pay for that Mm -hmm. You know And I You know if I step back and think about Like if I objectify What's going on In our culture I really think There needs to be a place for people uh, And I don't mean like a I mean like an ideological place There needs to be a place for people who honestly want to be left alone. They they truly, honestly, don't want to be involved in society at all. Mm.
1: And I mean, in politics or in society overall.
0: Well, in politics, but like, because I've talked, like I say, I've talked to a lot of people, and I've talked to people that I, I don't agree with at all, politically speaking, right? But I can kind of get where they're coming from, that they, they live this, they manage to live this life in this little small town and they have this job and, you know, and they have their house and their thing and and they don't want to care. They honestly don't want to care about whatever, <laughs> like whatever I think or whatever, you know, somebody might think they just want to live their little life and not mm-hmm. be bothered. And I kind of get that. Like mm-hmm. I. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like I don't know. Like
1: Yeah, you know. I mean that is sort of where I would take the stance of I would rather someone not vote than vote wrong. Uh <laughs> But
0: well, yeah, I mean I,
1: um but I mean I do think that it is you know, it is a that being politically engaged either comes from, you know, being politically disengaged, either comes from, uh, you know, real, real disillusionment with the political process, real giving up on it, or enough privilege to not care, right? Um, and I'm not saying everyone has to be involved, um, but, you know, from people who are coming up from the, the perspective where they've just given up on the political process, Nothing's going to change if you're not involved, right? Um, but if you just don't care, well, then you, you're you allowed to not care. You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> well, right. Um, okay. Abby, uh, just hang on the line while I uh, unhook the recording. And, oh, before I do that, is there anything you wanted to tell the Internet before we uh –
1: yeah uh, if you want to check out My YouTube channel it's Oh goodness I let me just pull up I, So I can tell people the link right? uh, You can edit this out right oh,
0: I'll, I'll put it in the description And I oh. am going to edit the, I am going to edit this podcast
1: oh, Okay good I assumed you were
0: Abs- Absolutely
1: Okay good uh, should I say the link too Or you'll, be, you'll just put it in the description
0: I'll put it in the description I'll absolutely put it in the description Okay Okay mm. All right.
1: All right. Yeah, that's that's the main thing. <laughs>
0: just yeah, I'll put it in the description and just say the name of your podcast so we can oh,
2: it's I mean, not a pod-
0: pod- <laughs> my bad. Okay, let me do that again. Say the name of your YouTube channel <laughs> so people can know what it is. It's
1: uh, political psych with Abby.
0: Okay, okay. All right. And um well, thank you for coming on the History Voyager. And thank
1: uh you for having me.
0: Okay, and I'm going to unhook the recording. All right.